Hi there. I'm Chloe Kent, reporter for Generics Bulletin and InVivo. Joining me today are Eva McClellan and Kay Vitek, two senior Roche executives and together the co-founders of Unlocking Eve, an initiative which aims to bring more women into senior leadership positions in healthcare. While women occupy 70% of frontline healthcare roles, they make up only 15% of healthcare leadership and decision-making positions. I'll be speaking to Eva and Kay today about why and how this needs to change. So hello both, and thanks so much for joining me today. Um, if we could start from the top, can you please tell me what exactly is Unlocking Eve? What are the ultimate goals of your initiative and what does it stand for? Okay, well, um, thank you, Chloe, for, for the question. I think um, Ava and I uh, co-founded Unlocking Eve based on really our unwavering belief that, uh, you know, together with a community that we can unlock the power of all leaders in healthcare and transform healthcare and deliver be better health outcomes for all. So that, that is the main essence of what we are trying to do here uh, in Unlocking Eve. We've always had this passion of um, providing service and giving service to others uh, and, and finding that uh, space really cultivated from our beginnings. You know, and we're both immigrants, Ava and I, uh, and have seen uh, what uh, the power of uh, helping and unlocking others can, can really do for the community. What really crystallized for us is during the pandemic, as our conversations continued, we started to see data emerge. Um, we, we all know that 80% of healthcare decisions are made by women. Think about who makes decisions for their children, their family, their society, their aging parents. And over 70% of healthcare workers are women. And um, yet only you know, under 20% are in decision-making roles. And what really struck us was during the pandemic, we start to see the data emerge that countries led by women had six times less um, deaths than countries not led by women. And so that insight, that mismatch between the decision makers in healthcare versus the designers and the impact uh, women particularly can have really motivated us. But what, what we really wanted to emphasize, unlocking Eve's um, his goal, is really uh, to unlock the potential of leadership in all of us. We all have masculine and feminine leadership characteristics. And what we're starting to see is that the current leadership paradigms, they're not working. They're not working for men and they're not working for women. And so the question we have is what's possible? And that really brings us to our two goals. Um, the first one is increasing the percentage of women in leadership in healthcare, because we have seen evidence that that will that translates into improved outcomes. And the second one is really around the criteria um, of leadership, advancing a new profile of excellence in all leaders and changing how leaders are selected and developed so that we can unlock that potential that we're seeing, you know, the feminine potential we're seeing women are, 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 are nicely displaying, but really we believe that is a, a untapped potential in both men and women. So these are the two goals uh, that, uh, that are really a focus of Unlocking Eve. That statistic you cited about um, like women leaders um, during the pandemic, that's, that's very striking. What do you think it is about women in positions of leadership that can sort of bring about that kind of outcome? 
the data that we stated is from the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control. Um, they were showing that, you know, there was six times fewer deaths during the pandemic, especially at the beginning. Um, when you look into when you look into uh, this data further, of course, we can't say that's, you know, that's true for all because we also have cases mm. where that wasn't the case. But what we what we notice as we kind of went into the data, it's this plurality of perspectives that is brought to the table when there is another perspective there. Women have tended, um, women and just that type of uh, decision-making tended to err more on the longer term societal benefits. Um, being men and women, but you know, again, this was displayed in the women that were effective, being able to balance the economic the social and the health and well-being, you know, in a, you know, because that's a fight line, um, and um, displaying much more um, empathy, compassion, listening, and decisiveness um, when human and health was on the line. So those were some of the things we we noticed um, that were bubbling up. From like just a very base level, how can we sort of secure a seat at the table for women in health in the healthcare industry when it comes to these like leadership roles where women clearly are not being presented in a way that's to scale with the influence that we have like in that space? I'll share um, one thought, uh, Chloe, and I'll pass it on to Ava. One of the things uh, during our conversations during the World Economic Forum uh, at the SDG tent, um, Seth Berkeley, who is the CEO of Agave, uh, mentioned that one of the things that he's seeing uh, in the front lines, especially in uh, developing countries, that women are tending to be, again, majority of the frontline healthcare workers um, that deliver primary care, but they are usually unpaid or underpaid. What we're seeing is that women are under-recognized or not recognized in terms of the value that we bring in terms of healing and, and taking care of health and well-being for the society. So we see that that, that um, is a possible detriment to how women then see that this is a career that they can take and that they can lead and um, have that uh, recognition and uh, reward at the same time. Yeah, the, the only thing I would add to that, which we also learned by listening at the World Economic Forum um, work we did was there was a couple of things that emerged. Sponsorship emerged as the single most powerful enabler to pull women to the table and to the helm of organizations. So how do we sponsor versus not just mentor? The second thing, which is quantitative targets that ensure best qualified candidates are most acceptable um, and uh, get to the table. Again, targets do work and there has been a lot of evidence. Linda Gratton said, you know, 10 years ago, and she's a professor at the London Business School who does a lot of work in leadership in this area. She said 10 years ago, she wouldn't say put uh, targets in place, but you know, the evidence shows it works. As long as we're ensuring the best qualified candidate then makes it to the end. And then the third one is what we talked about, which is these new leadership models that embrace a more diverse trait and approaches are needed, both in men and women. And so how do we um, do practical things like uh, rewrite job descriptions that highlight those leadership qualities as the ones that are preferred. 
Um, but I think bottom line, you know, we need policies that support human-centered, family-centered, and society-supportive um, advancements of women and also uh, of men that uh, sh show those traits and are able to lead in this way. What does good sponsorship look like to you guys? Like, what is it that you would want to see in like a positive relationship um, in that sort of format? I'll share my my thoughts. Um, I was uh, I saw a, a TED talk uh, in LinkedIn uh, just last week about sponsorship, and it really resonated to me because I think it is one thing around the relationship of of the sponsor and the and this. Uh, I don't know what you call sponsor me, uh, but it is uh, really how can the sponsors um, make sure that when they are at the seat of the table or when they are making um, decisions around uh, recruiting and leadership, that sponsors actually really advocate and um, help in making the the sponsoree being uh, someone that we can really place into positions of leadership. It is, you know, only when you have the power of decision making and when you are in, in that seat, can you can make then truly a change in, in how that is being done. And if you are not, if you don't have anyone having to advocate for you, then you're not even part of the discussion. So I think it's really important for sponsors to make sure that they are very intentional uh, in making sure that they advocate and uh, speak up about um, the sponsoring. Yeah, the, the the thing that is that I've experienced both from being a sponsoree and a sponsor is kind of two things. One, um, the sponsoree being very clear that the sponsor is someone that is going to move beyond giving you advice and giving you opportunities. So there's a more pressure on the sponsoree to say, this is a two-way street, you know, um, what are the co uh, competence experiences that I want to gain and how can the sponsor provide those opportunities? And then I need to deliver, uh, obviously, on my side, um, not just, you know, learn. And on the sponsor side, um, it's someone, the relationship is such that you know, oftentimes we get women to come to the table and then they get the second, you know, two out of the second rung position or, or they don't make it um, through the interview because they didn't have a certain experience. And, you know, that comes down to the best qualified talent. There's certain experiences that women need. I think the sponsor to be, you know, to be advocating for the right experiences and then putting women into those roles early on so that when they do get to the table and they're competing to get to the table, they actually have examples and experience that is uh, competitive. It's a, it's a much more intimate and a much more specific advocacy than just mentorship. If I could just speak to you about the target aspect what is the best way that an organization could um, employ quantitative targets to secure the best talent one of the things that you know Roche who is uh, our employer also um, is doing really well is providing transparency on those metrics that 
then makes it very clear why uh, we're making decisions um, in, in certain situations. And it is something that uh, to really drive towards the, the ambitions around diversity and inclusion. Uh, I think it's it's really helpful and we've seen it in terms of, uh, as Ava said, once we have a target and once we, we are measuring that, um, we're hiring for the best uh, candidates, making sure that um, diverse candidates are being uplifted through the funnel uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, the career progression, making sure that that is very clear and, and consistent with what we're driving towards um, in the overall goal. You talked about um, like new leadership models, like rather than the sort of traditional way that we conceptualize um, a leader sort of coming up with a new vision for that kind of figure. Um, what does that look like in practice? So for us, it's this power of two, this, this balance between how do you as a leader um, become aware of both the powers within you, we would say the feminine, more of that receiving, that compassion, that uh, community concern, and the more masculine energy, which we all have, which is that more um, directing uh, goal orientation and task, which also needs to be done. And how do you become more aware, first individually, yourself, of that you have access to both? and then able to self-regulate so that you can deploy that much more effectively in the context that is required. And so we believe that traditionally both men and women, again, because of the way what was needed in the world and the way we were trained, over-indexed on one. Um, and, um, and now we believe that the world, um, that's not working and the world needs a much more balanced deployment of that. And we believe unleashing of the other, which we describe as feminine energy um, available to both men and women, is what is actually needed to bring people together to collaborate much more effectively and solve some of the complexities that we cannot solve just with uh, with that action orientation, top down um, energy. Um, yeah, I think the only thing that I would add, uh, Ava, you know, Ava really talked about this balancing um, of these different uh, characteristics and uh, um, energies that we have. I think the, the other word that I will throw in there is integrating those um, aspects. It's not just, uh, I think, balancing, but really living in the, the integration of all of those energies, because we do have all of that in, in ourselves. It's, uh, you know, how we deploy it in the situations that we're in. And I think um, as leaders, you then have to be to have that awareness and consciousness uh, in terms of which um, aspects of uh, within you that you deploy in certain situations, uh, which which really to me and in, in, in my experience means that you have to be present and aware and have that um, consciousness of what uh, is needed in the moment. Love that. Love that piece on integration. That is that it is the most critical piece. Um, okay, so wonderful. Okay, fantastic. Um, I'd love to talk a bit about the sort of not strictly parenting, but like family aspect of it. Normalizing people of all genders, taking parental leave, like not just women is really key. I mean, first of all, how can employers help to like 
normalize that being a universal standard? Um, and also, how can there be a support um, for people re-entering the workplace, whether it is like a nine month break or like three or four years, like maybe even longer? Like, how do you make that transition um, like acceptable both for the employee and the employer? So two questions yeah, at once. <laughs> that's, a, that's a wonderful question. I can I can start with that disclaimer. I'm not a parent, um, but I am very obviously uh, I listen to what's needed because the goal requires parental leave and balanced um, reentry into work as a as a key aspect. Otherwise, we're losing 50% of our workforce um, and um, and 50% of our diversity. Uh, the stories I've heard have have been really positive models and positive examples that I've heard, which is what we want to share on Unlocking You. We, we know there's a lot of issues, but we also know that there's a lot of positive models. Um, one very positive thing is that Stefan, the CEO of Moderna, you know, he talked about how his HR department um, really just makes a list of all the women that are off and has a plan for them uh prior to them leaving i mean i think that's such a practical thing any ceo and hr um executive can do is just um make sure you're uh following your talent that's leaving make sure that the line managers uh, are having a conversation not just about them leaving but actually how they're going to reintegrate back the other thing that i've heard uh that has been really uh i, I thought it was pretty remarkable um, it was the um, ambassador of Germany to Slovenia. I happened to meet uh, a couple of weeks back. And there, um, you know, as an ambassador, you also travel from country to country and move your family around as you do your posts. And the German uh, authorities actually let her and her husband split the job. So, not, you know, um, nine, nine months of the year she does it and the other nine months he does it. So they take turns um, as both uh, uh, both um, both uh, parental leaves and they happen to work for the same organization. So that's clearly possible. But there are such creative ways to split the work. Um, some women, you know, in Germany, she was saying the biggest issue they have is that they have long maternal leaves, you know, two, three years. And, she, and and that's not also optimal either, because being out of the workforce for three years sometimes is not what a woman wants to do. So I just think it's really contextual. It's very, very personal as well from the people that I've, I've talked to, really understanding what the person and the family wants and then having policies that are family friendly, that are forward looking and that are flexible. Um, that really respect the individual needs and wants of of of, of the employee um, would be my um, my synthesis of the the stories that I've heard. I've also seen really um, some examples uh, where men are now taking uh, part time uh, after uh, getting into uh, paternity leave, uh, looking at part-time work so that they are able to take care of um, their children when women go back full-time. So there's also, I think, a, a normalizing of that because companies have started to offer longer and longer paternity leaves, not just maternity leaves. So I think it's quite um, a trend and I think a really positive trend that is happening that uh, there is more recognition that um, we also need to provide the same level of benefits from um, 
from the paternity side or the father side, not just uh, really um, providing those uh, lengthy maternity leaves for for women. For for me, you know, I I had my son uh, twenty years ago, so it's a long time now. But it was really a shared uh, aspect from from my husband and and myself, and I think it it was just that awareness of really that we needed to do it together. And I think our companies really supported us in in that way. So I think it's been uh, great to see that there is more and more recognition that uh, there has to be a change in in policies and that uh, it needs to be provided that type of um, uh, family leave for, for both men and women. And maybe the, to add to your question, uh, Chloe, around, you know, how do you ensure that? I think making it transparent and making it a competitive advantage. The war for talent is real, uh, especially after pandemic. You know, um, talented talent is not uh, that easy to acquire, you know, knowing that ourselves here working in, in the industry. And I just think, you know, the companies would be smart um, or somebody making a list to publish you know, where are the policies favorable and um, and women and men kind of looking at that as their decision criteria, especially when they're looking to join uh, organizations. Um. So my um, final question for you on the podcast is going to be um, what is Unlocking Eve doing to um, help to facilitate these changes? Um, there's a lot of work to be done, you know, all hands on deck, I think, on this. Um, anybody who can contribute should be contributing. And our approach really uh, is a marriage of our experience as healthcare executives for cumulatively together for 25 years in healthcare, um, our networks that we have been able to forge over the years, and our insights, which um, we are ready to um, integrate and uh, give back. And our approach really is to first explore the issue at a at a deeper level um, and surface insights that are really transformative in terms of aha moments like the one we shared around the mismatch. Then uh, engaging a community of people um, like the community of business leaders and political leaders and NGOs at the World Economic Forum, but other areas uh, of similar influence so that then we can use that to transform both into individual and collective in impact. Our first steps, um, as always, um, this is what we would do in business, is to listen to what people are telling us um, and where are the areas that don't have enough oxygen that need to be amplified. And so our key approach is partnerships. Um, we Our goal is not to be different and stand alone. Our goal is to partner uh, to identify innovative ways of um, partnering and then unlocking um, both this um, male and female population. And so that brings me to kind of our differentiator in terms of our approach. It's gender agnostic. It really focuses on the qualities of leadership that are most easily identified with women, but we believe is they're available to all of us. And uh, through our research and through piloting um, bespoke experiences, we will learn, um, you know, what does that unlock look like? And then we hope to bring it to as many leaders uh, as we can in the world. And our markers will be first in healthcare um, and advancing the SDG goals, number three and number five. So that's where we get specific um, health and well-being and gender equity. Those goals are in place already. The world has been called to help advance those by 2030. 
we have eight more years to do so. Um, and can I believe through our approach in our community, um, we will be able to make um, our own contribution um, towards that goal. And then we'll see what comes after that. Okay, um, and can I just ask you, you talk about these sort of um, 2030 goals. Um, what is it that you would like to see for um, sort of like women in leadership in the healthcare industry by that stage, like in eight years time? Yeah, so for me, uh, for us, I think, but for me, certainly, um, I would like to see parity in decision in decision making roles, not just in the healthcare biotechnology pharmaceutical space, but also where healthcare is delivered, which is hospitals, you know, policymakers, uh, ministers of health, ministers of finance, where dollars are decided. I'd love to see uh, uh, parity. Um, I think women are 50% of the population in the world. Uh, they are overrepresentative in terms of making healthcare decisions in communities. It would only make sense that um, they are equally represented decision-making roles. So I'd like to see see that as an increase. In fact, maybe I would just want to you know emphasize that bottom line a little bit. Um, if you look at uh, there has been studies to show um, uh, that 13 trillion additional GDP would be uh, added to the global GDP by 2030 versus 1 trillion if inequity is not addressed. So we're talking about by 2030, if those goals are really addressed, $13 trillion is added to the global GDP. And just to put that in perspective, that is nearly the GDP of China. And so I think whether your heart sits with the fairness and equity and social justice, there is an argument there. And if your, your heart or your head most likely sits on the economic argument, it's there. And what fascinates me is why that data hasn't sparked and moved people into action faster. So that's my hope and my dream and also my curiosity. Maybe just to add to that, so that uh, study was published by McKinsey during the pandemic. Uh, I don't know if, Chloe, you're nodding your head, so you might have seen that, but uh, it was something that uh, really came out of the pandemic of where, again, women uh, have been disproportionately been affected um, because of the industries that women are usually in. And those industries are the ones that have been affected by the pandemic. So to bring back uh, and to recover from um, gender equality, uh, this is now really a, a critical, it has been a critical um, goal, but now the urgency and, and the criticality, I think, has uh, have risen uh, because of what happened during the pandemic. I think in just in addition to what Ava said about uh, increasing the representation of women, the other thing that Unlocking Eve um, wants to really accomplish just to to repeat that um, is how can we really change the criteria uh, of, of leadership? Uh, and we believe that this is something that we can do um, through Unlocking Eve and, and really helping transform um, leaders and at the same time being and making everyone aware that there is a new model that uh, we are able to leverage now that will be much more successful given the situation in, in the world and, and what the world needs. 
So maybe the last ask is for anybody that's listening to this. If you have ideas of positive or examples, if your organization is an example of a positive model, if you have positive uh, actions that you've taken that have produced really good outcomes, we want to share those stories and we want to share them as inspiration, as a role modeling for others. The world is, uh, you know, knows all the problems that exist, but I think there's not enough oxygen. We both think there's not enough oxygen on the positive models and positive actions. So please reach out to us um, and uh, we'd love to help you shine brighter and um, with the hope that others would uh, would would do the same. So, um, yeah, more oxygen to positive models, positive actions is what we're looking for. And um, we'd be happy to partner and help. So feel free to reach out.